0: Hello and welcome to Million Screens. I'm producer Leo Garcia, joined via Zoom by TV awards editor Libby Hill, stifling laughter, and TV deputy editor Ben Travers. Today we're talking about The Undoing slash the best new shows of 2020. <laughs> is there
1: a question? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oof, that's, that's slash correct. That carries different. a lot of water, Those, that, that slash. Uh, and then Libby has finally caught up with Ted Lasso <laughs> and is going to regale Ben and I with her... Capital T Take.
1: It's it's a big one. Uh, uh, To quote the person who um, commented on my Queen's Gambit is Rocky piece, I hope I get the psychiatric care I so desperately need. It is the millions and millions of
0: little screens. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. Skipping ahead to the clicker, our recap of the biggest new items from this past week. Guys, the Undoing finale aired on Sunday and it earned over 3 million viewers. Earned, was earned the wrong word there? Earned was the wrong word, try it again. It's
1: good that you're still a Rube in some, in some fashion, <laughs> it,
0: it garnered? That sounds a lot like earned. It sounds like it deserved them.
2: Right, you're still too strong. It received.
0: And it, it had. Sure. It got
1: Let's see. like
0: it stole. Yeah. Stole is good. Yeah. It stole 3 million viewers across all <laughs> platforms, <laughs> which officially made it the most watched show on HBO since the finale of Big Little Lies in 2019. Uh, additionally, uh, the finale grew 43% from the previous week's episode, episode five. And According to HBO, it's the first original series in their history to grow its audience each week. Ben, how disheartened are you? <laughs> you gave uh, you gave the show you gave the show a D minus, which I think is your lowest was it a D minus or F? I don't remember. It's your lowest it was, score of the year.
2: It was it was a D something. It was very low. Uh I I am I am more disheartened than I expected to be. Long ago, I stopped expecting anyone to really listen to the reviews, uh, let alone read the reviews. Um, Though I did notice that there were even a couple of critics who shared my uh, disappointment, let's say, in the series, who were saying, wow, I warned you guys. I tried. I know other people didn't, but I tried. And I was like, well, no, I I did. Like, you could have. Like, we all could bond together and say we all tried, but no, not even that. Um, So all of that was a little disheartening. Um, But... On some level, it is easy to understand why The Undoing was a popular show. Um, It's it's a very basic, understandable program. It has
0: uh,
1: I mean, basic. I feel think feels like the right word.
2: I mean, seventy five million people
0: voted for Donald Trump,
2: and uh, and this show, uh, which was very much about uh, entitled white. People uh, did nothing to make them feel bad about themselves. So um, again, open to everyone, very mainstream, very uh, very welcoming in that way. But no, I would I would I would just say that I was I did take the smallest bit of solace in the seemingly universal agreement that the show ended poorly and that our investment in the show was misplaced. So even though the ratings are high and uh, it did what it needed to do. Um, in the end, the reputation of that series is nothing like the show that Leo said it surpassed or, or approached in Big Little Lies. Like it's it's not like anyone's going to be fighting to preserve the integrity of the Undoing season one if they do for whatever reason decide to revisit the story or uh, these characters, which I can't imagine they would. Um, but no, uh, yeah, it was it was. It was a show that
0: existed, and it is gone now. You did talk to Hugh Grant the day after to discuss the ending spoiler alert if you haven't watched the undoing he did it
2: Hugh Grant did it yeah he was the murderer i mean technically Hugh Grant Hugh personally
1: Grant
2: played the murderer in the undoing he is not a murderer though he did say that he enjoyed having you know this experience like playing the antagonist and the villain and he's been doing that a few a little bit more of late Um, which was very exciting. He also, uh, yes, Libby, you have a question?
1: When you talked to Hugh Grant, how much did you talk about Paddington 2? Paddington 2. He Uh, brought it up on his
2: own, didn't he? He did. Thankfully, Hugh Grant brought up Paddington 2 first. So then um, that was was my way in to continue the Paddington discussion. Uh, I believe he was talking about uh, playing charming individuals for a long time and then kind of steering away from them.
1: I but like that's the thing. I think that because it's Hugh Grant, there is that underlying element of charm, but he um, transi- transitions it so well to like smarmy and very slick in a way that really behooves him, uh, especially at this point in his career. And Ben I am so sorry, I haven't read that interview yet. Um I was out yesterday, so I'm behind in my in my everything.
0: Ben, going from one of your worst reviewed shows of the year to a list that just debuted today, which all three of us contributed to, um, the best the best new shows of 2020, um, and we all stumped for certain things. I was there mostly to make jokes uh, and talk about Ted Lasso. I don't know, if, yeah, I know, Libby. I don't want to get to you first because we're going to segue to what you wrote about for the list. But maybe maybe you could talk about some of the other uh, shows on the list that 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 you that interests you but Ben, what what did you write about for this for this list uh i know we are who we are you talked about on the podcast before but what else did you write about
2: uh great question leo i wrote about a little amazon original series called tales from the loop um it's created uh well it was produced by matthew reeves who's off working on the batman i presume right now if it hasn't been shut down for the upteenth time um but nathaniel halpern was uh kind of the the idea man behind most of the series and it's just i think we probably talked about it at some point um i dug into it at the time it was released and it's this weird little show that doesn't fit in a neat little box like you can't say well oh it's one of those or oh it's one of those it has elements of science fiction it has elements of an episodic anthology there's serialized parts to it that kind of run throughout so it provides like this kind of rewarding watch as you go through all of it but you can also take it um Individually, if you so choose. So it, it's, it's basically about this little town, this fictional town in Ohio, um, where there's a kind of a particle physics accelerator machine thing underground and a laboratory built around it. And they run experiments. And the only thing we really know about the machine at the core of this facility is that uh, the quote about it is that it makes the impossible possible. And basically as they're running these experiments, little weird things happen around town to the different citizens within the town. And then they have to kind of adjust and reflect and and kind of um, deal with whatever strange event occurred. And that event is always tied somehow to an aspect of their personality that they needed to examine or a part of their life that they needed to examine. Um, There's a great episode with Jonathan Price where he kind of goes around with his, uh, with his granddaughter. And it's a little bit about life and death and kind of a life cycle and and how that works. There's an episode where, um, a man who's like very, very timid, uh, kind of meets a different version of himself who was more adventurous and sees what he can do. And they try to meet in the middle in a weird way. Um, so it's very character centric, uh, but it's also just a very beautiful show. It was based, it was actually inspired by a, a set of paintings where they juxtapose this rural landscape with kind of this strange advanced technology in, in a very beautiful way. And um, it, it's just a great little interesting show. I really hope more people explore it. It seemed like Amazon was pretty happy with it when it came out. Um, and it's something that could just kind of keep going because obviously the machine itself is a, is a story generating device. So it could kind of just keep going for a, a long time and have different writers and directors and actors come in and, and work on it in, in an exciting way. Um, And I think that was what was exciting to me about the new series list that we posted um, in a year when it's very hard to tell, you know, when it began, when it ended, what's going on in between, what's come out, what hasn't. Um, It's both easy to watch a lot of stuff and also easy to miss a lot of stuff. Like if you became obsessed with The Sopranos in the middle of quarantine, in the middle of the pandemic, you may have missed a lot of shows because you were busy catching up on one of the all-time classics. Um, and at the same time, even if you were trying to watch stuff as it came out, just the nature of the release schedule always makes it difficult to kind of stay on top of things. And, um, this list I thought was a, a, a pretty good summary, you know, only 10, but a pretty good summary of new series that are going to keep going that, or at least could keep going, um, into the future so that you would have something to try out and know that you'd be able to revisit it later on, which
0: is, which is nice, which is comforting. Libby, is there any is there anything on the list that stood out to you aside from what you wrote about?
1: Uh, yeah, like setting aside the one thing that I wrote about um, because I was very slow in the uptake when people were claiming shows. Um, there was a lot of stuff that I was really excited to see on there, and I think one of the things that I liked is that we, it, it felt like we incorporated um, a lot of different kinds of shows in there. Uh, one of the things that I'm I'm so glad was on there was Never Have I Ever. It's about an Indian-American girl who whose dad has just died and who she had a really close relationship with. Um, and now she's left to sort of deal with her mother, who she's always had a very um, a tempestuous relationship with. Uh, she is coming to terms with her sexuality. She's dealing with the, the rigors of high school. And it's so interesting and so nuanced and so funny um it's really it's really heartwarming and uh and it honestly it reminds me of ben's top 10 list of the year um where a show got included that was not put on the best new shows of the year list i assume because it was represented on um ben's list already but netflix's babysitters club um adaptation which was a brilliant and heartwarming um update On a classic kind of ghost written uh, mass market YA series. But no, it it is really heartwarming to me. And and heartwarming isn't even the right word. It is very inspiring to me to see um, programming aimed at younger women uh, taking up spots in, taking up valuable and, and high profile slots in end of the year lists. Um, it's a market that is so long, uh, that is so often sidelined, so often overlooked, so often uh, marginalized. That it, it's exciting to me to see programs that I would have adored when I was when I was a teenager. So, um, but that's not what I wrote about.
0: What did you write well, about,
2: Libby? <sighs> I, feel I think like, this might be like time to show you would have adored at any age, and all ages have adored it. So.
1: Keep pushing. So should, we,
0: should we segue?
1: <laughs> I think it's time for a segue. Is it time? Will you segue? To segue?
0: On? Libby, you wrote about Apple TV Plus's stall workplace comedy Ted Lasso.
1: I did. I did. And while. <laughs> um,
0: I love, the, I love your blurb because it has a very Beach Boys God Only Knows vibe to it where it starts with I may not always love you. And then one of the greatest love songs follows.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. And, and, and that's I I was very as listeners to this podcast are familiar. I was very reluctant to get on board the Ted Lasso train. And that's something I want to talk about a little bit in a moment. But um, when I when I finally sat down and watched it, I realized that it was very much in the vein of Bill Lawrence shows, who is who's one of the the executive producers on it. Um, It's not so much uh, one of those shows that wants to jam happiness down your throat. Yeah, there is an element like it wants to be super positive. It wants to um, lift you up. But primarily it's about, you know, adults trying to make connections later in their life. Trying to build new um, support systems and navigate their lives not working out the way they hoped they would, and uh, turning to each other uh, for for if not support at least recognition that like this is valid, this is something that a lot of people go through, and in turn giving providing that for the audience. Um, divorce is fucking hard, uh, raising kids is hard, uh, feeling fulfilled and successful at your job is hard, um, staying positive is hard, and, um, that is a theme that resonates a lot in Bill Lawrence's work who's previously created, um, he previously created Cougar Town, which was a a show you never watched because it has a terrible title, but, um, was, again, about a bunch of white people being friends and uh, scrubs, which was (laughs) slightly more diverse, um, but also about younger adults, you know, learning those lessons, making those connections um, in a very often uplifting way. And so it wore me down. Sleeping on
0: Spin City and Clone High.
1: Yeah, and Spin City. (laughs) uh, He created Spin City. I, I I don't remember. I was just on the. Oh, I, I was
0: just I was just joking because like those shows are very different. Those shows are like outliers from the other shows. Scrubs, well, uh, Cougar Town, and Ted Lasso share far more DNA than those other shows.
1: Right, right, and he also something I think is like he has a, a network of of people that he's worked with who have then kind of gone off and and made their own sort of uplifting shows. Uh, Kevin Beagle was a co-creator on Cougartown. He then went on to make Enlisted, which is about three brothers in the military. Um, again, very family-oriented, very, very uplifting. As a sidebar, I think it's very interesting how Bill Lawrence and Mike Schur are very invested in making this kind of entertainment that isn't a huge fucking bummer. Um, and I can't think of a lot of other creatives in Hollywood who are as, as dedicated to that. But I've gone off course, of course, I really came around to really like, I don't want to say that I love Ted Lasso. Uh, I really, really, really like Ted Lasso. I am excited and, and eagerly anticipating more Ted Lasso. Um, Something in me still is holding me back just back from, from, matching the enthusiasm that most people have for Ted Lasso. Um, and I have some theories as to why that is, but uh, yeah, you guys, you got me shut up now. Um,
0: mm. We'll stop is talking about it? Ted Lasso now. Yeah. Is this
2: our last, are we going to try to end the streak of, of Ted Lasso on the pod? Maybe.
1: Until until
0: Emmys until Emmys roll well, until, around and we have to start stumping for it.
1: Because that's going to be I didn't I uh Sude- I think Sudaicus is a lock he should be, and um I honestly think the show is a lock too for for nominations at the very least um you have to remember globes were were one of the earliest because of timing to embrace the morning show and um well, it didn't do as well there as as maybe they would have hoped it did did do well and um there's no reason to expect that they won't recognize this. Apple's first hit. Um, they may argue that they have had other hits, but this is like a genuine, genuine, bona fide word of mouth success, um, which has only gained in speed and buzz since it premiered friggin' three months ago.
0: And not to stereotype the Hollywood foreign press, but soccer—you'd
1: yeah, think so. But uh, like, let's before I get into what held me back on Ted Lasso, because I've been talking for a long time. Why don't, why don't you boys remind the audience why the show, why you connected with the show so much? Uh, I mean,
2: I don't know if I'd say that I, I, I,
1: or enjoyed a huge that, connection
2: like, with Ted Lasso. Like that, that seems like a stretch. Um, stop bragging. But I, I, I really do. I mean, I really do think that. An underrated part of its success is, yes, that it is a positive show. It is um, one of those kind of light comedies that engages you enough with a narrative uh, while not, you know, going joke a minute, joke a minute, joke a minute, that you have to keep up with it. So it's very easy to just kind of relax into. I think all of those are, are very important characteristics. But to me, one of the things about Ted Lasso that, that is integral to its success is it continuously surprises you in little moments and big moments. So I think, like you mentioned, kind of toward the end of the season, when we see Ted dealing with his divorce and dealing with, you know, kind of the relationship and and that part of it, that goes to a place where it's darker than you probably expected, but it does not feel like one of those moments where we're going to throw in something horrible and hard in this joyous thing uh, to, to amplify the, you know, the prestigious nature of the program or to, or to make it feel more important than it is. It still keeps it very grounded within the character of the show. Um, And then also like very early on, there's this little moment where, um, where Ted is handing out, he gives out little army men It becomes a a theme of the show. He gives army men that his son gave him to, you know, people in his life for various reasons. And he gives it to one of the players who uh, I can't remember the actor's name, but Steve loves him. Um, And, uh, he gives him to one of the players and the player you know accepts it and is like oh it's very nice this is a very kind gesture and you kind of think it's going to end at that and he just goes he goes actually could but can you hold on to this because i don't have the affinity for the american military complex that you do because he you know is where he comes from and like not only like that comment but ted kind of you know accepting that meaning, oh of course this is my mistake like accepting the kind of um you know the oversight the 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 mistake that he made in, in Like what that gift implies to this person, that kind of awareness to me is is very welcome. And those kind of little moments of surprise made me engage with the show in a way that um, a lot of them don't. Because one, you know, some people don't know to make the time for it. Some people have a hard time working it in naturally. Some people just, you know, there is a skill to the delivery and to the writing and to that construction that you know makes it feel both natural and, and of the moment as well as something you can remember and pay attention to, unique enough that it'll stand out. Um, so I, I really, to me, that's that's kind of what kept me coming back to Ted Lasso. And I did rewatch it. I, I told you guys, I'll be honest with everybody, like I have a lot of screeners I need to be watching. I have a lot of things that I have to watch for work. And I made the time over the last like two weeks to, re, to rewatch the first season of Ted Lasso because it just felt nice. And I did want to prepare for this podcast and be able to talk about it a little bit better. But um, it did just feel like, a comforting thing right now uh that also wasn't that wasn't bob's burgers or friends which i've seen so many times that it's just background
1: i'm in the middle of new uh, girl again so i get it
0: yeah i did that then that's he, he gives it. the army soldier to sam right that's right but the actor's name is uh toheeb jamo i think to your point and i think i mentioned this last week when i said why i was thankful for ted lasso is that i went into it with uh and this one not a selling point for the show. But I went into it with very low expectations, and it blew those away at every turn. And so I think, to your point about like the unexpected twists and turns it does have, uh, those are welcome when there's so much cookie cutter comedy out there. Uh, and to and to to add to Libby's point, I think like there's something about the Mike Sure and Bill Lawrence shows that do try do try to mix comedy with sometimes an over earnestness or sincereness that I think is frowned upon a ton, uh, in other comedy circles. Uh, and the fact that they can tow that line, uh, in a way that doesn't make it that either doesn't sacrifice all the comedic, uh, elements, um, or make it like maudlin.
1: Yeah. It's, it's very, very difficult to balance us, um, Smart and saccharine and um uh, smart and sweet without becoming saccharine or satirical. Um and, and that's where Ted Lasso really shines, I think. It's it is it's a very uh, witty show.
0: All this to say, uh these are the things we enjoyed about Ted Lasso, but Libby, you said that you had uh something sort of holding you back from potentially even tackling the show. Uh and that you had to overcome in order to enjoy it.
1: I did. I'm uh so the let's add some context before I go into it. Um I am very jaded. <laughs> I've tried so hard not not to grow jaded as I've I've grown older, but um the longer that I am in this game, the longer that I have been examining, or or, or think, or on how I met your mother, there it there was an episode where they talked about the the sort of breaking the glass, the glass shattered moment where someone points out something that you've never noticed before, and it kind of ruins everything, and you can never unsee it. Um, you know that happened for me years ago when people were like god they're every and, like this is not a new observation but it's like every show is about a white dude in his a, a certain white dude of a certain age uh you know and sometimes he's a hero and sometimes he's an anti-hero and sometimes he's both and uh you know he's almost always inexplicably wealthy and we have every kind of we ever have, have every sort of take on this um so those aren't always the shows I want to watch those aren't the shows that I jump to watch first unless I star Chris Evans for reasons um and even that I I anyway um so those aren't the kind of shows that I jump to first so Ted Lasso comes out, it's very positively reviewed. It's very, uh, people are very excited about people I trust, people I love, people who I, I um, rely on the opinion of. And still, I just, it was uh, difficult for me to get there because I grew up in the Midwest, like Ben. Um, I know people like Ted Lasso. Uh, I know men like Ted Lasso, except I feel like the last few years have revealed that there are very few men like Ted Lasso left. Ted Lasso is a, is yes, a fictional creation, but he is also a fantasy character. Um, white dudes in Kansas, uh, aren't nice. (laughs) They don't want to go and, 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 and celebrate diversity and, um, want to lift people up and welcome the world with open arms. Um, they just don't. And it was difficult for me to sort of get over that hump, no matter how, no matter how good it was. I just kept thinking like, is this dude just failing up? Like, like he's, he's had some moderate success and now yes, there are nefarious scheme plots afoot, but is he just, like, failing upwards like so many undeserving people? This is really hard... uh, This is really difficult for me to talk about because as a a white woman, I'm just, like, half a step down from white men as far as privilege and opportunity and representation, and I recognize that. I do. Um, But... I don't know. That was a hurdle I had to overcome. Um, The idea that it was built around this guy and the idea that this guy was inexplicably successful, despite, you know, the fact that he goes to England and he knows nothing about soccer, which I will call it that Uh, he knows nothing about um, English football, uh, global football. Um, He doesn't bother to do any research he doesn't bother to do any research. By the end of the first season, um, it's a testament to this how good the show is. That that by the end, I was on board with it. Um, but if I if I read all of that on a sheet of paper, if you told me that, I would be like, I don't want that. There's enough of that in like everyday life. I don't need to see that glorified, lifted up used as as sort of a a model um of of something good and that sounds really persnickety and really like nitpicky to say um but i guess we need to talk about these things
2: it is something that i think affects people more than they even realize on on both sides of the equation and that You know, when you decide to watch something or not watch something, you know, a lot of people just think, well, tonight I wasn't in the mood, but tomorrow night I might be. I'll get to it eventually. But, like, whatever it is that you're resisting to, it's worth kind of thinking it through and figuring out why there is resistance there. And as a TV critic who watches as much as I possibly can and tries to, you know, expose myself to as many different opinions and different stories as I can, you know, I'm very familiar with with everything kind of just... Blending together in the middle for a lot of these stories and being exhausted by that. So that obviously resonates strongly. Um, but I really do want to endorse the idea of of how you're thinking about Ted Lasso. Because like I don't want to be I've, – I've worked for a while now to try to become – to try to stop being a person who pushes things on people no matter what. When I was watching The Leftovers, I would push that show on people no matter who they were or – what they told me or what their reasons were for not watching and you know that is
1: not a show for every person
2: that is not a show for every person but i was so passionately of course in favor of of the message of the show and how that show made me feel and also what that show made people think about whether they wanted to or not again i still stand by a lot of those ideas but i've also tried to be better about respecting you know (laughs) <laughs> there's certain things that people aren't willing to engage with and it's except not helpful. like it's just not except for later. he has to watch it um yeah. but to get back to, to doggy back Lazzo, 2021 like it's coming it's definitely coming um but to get back to ted lasso i we've talked about this for long enough and we you know poked fun at you and and ragged on you and and wanted you to watch it so that you could just be part of our conversation, no matter how you felt about it long enough that when you did finally like kind of talk it through and, you know, tell us, you know, the heart of the resistance as opposed to it just being like, well, it's another one of those shows that I just haven't gotten to yet. Like I'll get to it eventually. That was such a a kind of um, clarifying moment for me in how you think about television, but also how, I feel like more people should think about television, and you know that's not to say that you know people sh- like shouldn't watch Ted Lasso, but no. there are shows that aren't for you. There are shows that aren't uh, for you in that moment, and then there's shows that aren't for you in general, and then there's shows that will have uh, triggers and will have you know aspects built into them that a lot of people will overlook or just it won't phase them. But for you, for whatever reason, for whatever you've lived through. Um, you know, obviously, on a, even on a more minute scale, you know, that could be a thing that, that keeps you from digging into it. And I think respecting that is, is really important. Um, and then the last thing I'd say is just with the, with the idea of Ted Lasso being so bad, like having no clue what he's doing and failing upwards. Um, it is a conversation worth having, especially in the sporting world where so many coaches get second chances who failed repeatedly over and over and over again. Um, because you know they're in the club, like they're but not Colin Capra. Archangel. <laughs> yes, like there's it's so totally much resistance fucked. to the Rooney Rule. Like there's so much resistance to any sort of implementation that would you know uh, curb disenfranchisement in these incredibly powerful corporations and systems. Um, that to you know to, to watch this as a sports fan and to see. You know, to just take the perspective of the fan of that soccer team and see Ted Lasso come in to coach, and it's like he has no experience. He's a white American. He's this guy who just shows up with a positive attitude and doesn't care about winning or losing. These are all things that are unacceptable, and I do feel like the first season of Ted Lasso only really dealt with, like, two of those factors, and it will have to address in the future, especially his his kind of... uh, utter reluctance to learn anything about the game like it's great that he's listening to people it's great that he has coach beard it's great that nick muhammad's character is there you know to as like an upstart who really knows the thing and he's responding and listening and like encouraging people to listen and to be open to ideas from wherever they come is a great lesson for the show and part of what you know the, the the general appeal and what makes it great um but yeah like he is also the head coach like he yeah. has a responsibility so like probably
1: getting paid 10 times of... as much as anyone else <laughs> exactly. you yeah. know it's it's, yeah. it's one of those things where uh it kind of informs this idea that uh you can have a lot of good people working under you but it, it still has to be like uh a white right. guy r- calling the shots running the show yeah. like uh he, he he's gotta he's gotta be the one in the top seat um no relevance there in american government but um yeah i i uh there is something about the let's say like and and we see this um with the with economic disparity too there is something about the ruling class losing 2% let's say of the power that they had and it, Freaks them out because they've spent so long being in control of so much that any, any perceived loss of power is is so destabilizing to them.
0: Archel was 54 and 38 over the course of six or five seasons with the Raiders, a winning record over 60%. He was given... They, they gave him uh, control of the Oakland team in 2006. And, yeah, he went 2-14. and 14, But that was it. He was canned. He still has a winning record. Do you know how many coaches with losing records go on to get second and third jobs? Pete Carroll was at 6-10 and 10 with the Jets before he went on to eventually coach the Seahawks. But, like, it's fucking crazy.
1: It's crazy. All of Denver's quarterbacks were ruled ineligible to play because of COVID uh, regulation violations and John Elway wouldn't pick up Colin Kaepernick but there's no collusion in the NFL to keep out certain people. I don't know this,
0: this is an article for us but the first thing I did when I played Madden this year because the Jets are so bad Colin Kaepernick's rating is pretty good and he's just a free they put him in the game and he's just sitting there in a the free agent pool first thing I do with the Jets is I sign Colin Kaepernick and I make the team it's just a moral so victory. much better. It's such an easy <laughs> thing to do.
1: And yet it it's seems fun. beyond every NFL owner. So, yeah. um, this was a very wide ranging discussion and I'm very excited <laughs> about ended that. And talking because, about football. <laughs> yeah. I mean,
2: yeah, way to go Ted Lasso.
1: It's all relevant. Lasso. Talking about football and football and football. Um, no, but I, I I liked the show. I I really enjoyed it. Um I am desperate for it to come back. Um it's that kind of show. It just makes you feel kind of good. It's very easy to watch. It's It's uplifting in the most discouraging of circumstances. Um and you can't say that about a lot of things these days. So good job, guys. You yeah. did it. You converted me.
0: I mean, that's why I think and not to put too fine a point on it. That's why I think it was kind of the perfect show for pandemic, like because it does have this like sincerity and these people helping people who are like like strangers become friends over a very short amount of time. And I think that there is something to to that. I don't know how many other shows had that same energy. I'm just glad we were able to talk about Ted Lasso at length and now we can fully prep for its award season forthcoming and we all remember where we were when libby said just like Shit's creek ted lasso has the same exact chances to dominate the awards proceedings <music> millions of screens the production of the penske media corporation any wire our theme music features extras the classic youtube video bjork talking about tv and willie wonka in the chocolate factory our editor-in-chief is dana harris brightson our publisher is James israel and our executive editor is ann donahue our favorite Jason Sudeikis performances are in Sleeping with Other People, SNL, just generally. <laughs> if I'm if I'm picking my favorite Jason Sudeikis SNL moments, I'm either picking uh, his dancing guy from What's Up with That, when he's dancing in the in the in the Adidas tracksuit, um, or him and Kristen Wiig doing two a holes, and Detroiters.
1: <laughs> I thought his Biden was pretty good.
0: Yeah, he did a good Biden.
1: I mean, better than Jim Carrey.
0: Our Millions of Screens Jason Sudeikis endorsement is, for your consideration, Ted Lasso.
1: I fucking hate this show.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I added that FYC. Not Ted Lasso. Millions <laughs> of Screens. This, this show. You can find us on Twitter at a million screens, at Midwest Spitfire, at Ben T. Travers, and at Leo Adrian Garcia. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, so leave a review and let us know what you think. This is Ben, Libby, and Leo. Remind you, as always, that you shouldn't let poets lie to you.
1: shouldn't let
0: poets lie to you ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool <laughs> podcast